This is the Advanced Selling Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to help business sales teams grow their business with modern strategies and philosophies. Now, your hosts, Bill Kasky and Brian Neal. This is Bill Kasky back at the Advanced Selling Podcast. Brian Neal still here. You are still here. I am. You had a good day at the Jazz Kitchen. I really enjoyed that. Fun, I think our we? listeners did, too. We got a lot of emails from that. And, um, and as we are both sitting here holding our iPhones, we got some feedback from someone who <laughs> saw did. us. Yeah, one of our consultants who works with us saw one of our videos and said, hey, some f- feedback, guys. When you're doing the podcast, you shouldn't sit there and play on your phones the I whole know. time. It looks like you're disinterested. <laughs> However, we take our notes on our the phone, The truth right? is, yeah. You, you started it. that, and I've kind I did. of picked up on it. So, um, but anyway, well, not being videotaped. So speaking of experts, you know, everybody's everybody has experts in their lives. A couple of my family members, my wife's family members, actually are yeah. in the healthcare business. Okay, and I don't know if you've ever started to talk to someone who has a clinical background in the healthcare business about something that ails you. I have not. What was that? <laughs> this is an email. <laughs> this is a low flying jet. Yeah. No big deal. We're, good. we're in the middle of the freaking country. I think we're safe. <laughs> I think so. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it, it's like a habit. Whenever we say, oh, God, Lori, Lori's yeah. my uh, yeah. Yeah. cousin, uh, I've got this shoulder thing. And, you know, I went to the doctor and he said this, and I thought I was going to do this. And then she launches into her vernacular discussion <laughs> where she gets deep. Well, did he say it was a labid constrictor on that, or is it more of an ACD uh, kind of? Uh, and, and did they do the bellow effect? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. And then her husband jumps into it. Before you know it, I'm like knee deep. And I always have to say, would you guys just <laughs> shut up and talk like a layman? But Which is ever, weird. You ever had that where people... I have. And the, the two, my two problems... Actually, I just got diagnosed with pink eye a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Right? I remember. We said that, yeah, on the podcast. And I got diagnosed at my kid's football game by one of the... There's eight doctors of the parents that are on the team. And one of them did it. But it's so funny how they, they all like to just dig right in. Oh, you know? yeah. What is troubling to me is when I ha- we have nurse friends and doctor friends, and when I talk to both of them, like behind the scenes, I can't tell the difference. Yeah, like the no, nurses can give no, the same give, medical yeah. advice as the docs. Nothing against the docs. That's a little scary, but and we were a friend of ours was just had a heart attack here a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> and he was telling us about it. And he and his wife was a nurse, and he said I, I had some chest pains, and I, I sat on the side of the bed and was taking my pulse, and my wife came in and said, "Are you an AFib?" <laughs> my wife would have come in and said, no, "Would you get off I'm, the bed?" I'm B-fib. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just made that bed get off. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Topic today. Uh, We have a very special guest. Uh, It's been a a listener of of our podcast and also a very active LinkedIn group member for a long time. His name is Paul Rogers. Uh, He is from Melbourne, Australia, and he is British, lest you think he's going to come up with less Australian accent. But anyway, Paul, are you still there or did we lose you? Uh, I certainly am still here. Hello, guys. Oh, good. Hi, Paul. Well, I'm glad you're able to join us today. You know, you bring a little bit different perspective to the world uh, because you are and have been in purchasing for 30 some years. Part of the what you've been writing on on the on the uh, LinkedIn group is about the purchasing's perspective of a salesperson. The good, the bad, the ugly. And so we thought maybe we uh, take you down that path a little bit today with some questions about some of the things you see, some of the mistakes salespeople make. And But first, why don't you give us a little background on you and, uh, and maybe how you've come to some of these conclusions and observations, and that would help, and then we'll get into some questions. Absolutely. Procurement, as many practitioners call it rather than purchasing, is a function that very few people choose as a career. I think many people fall into it. But I'm an exception in that case, guys, because I started, my first job was in procurement in 1981. So that's a a long time ago. And in that time, I've done a variety of uh, procurement roles, both in the public and private sector in Europe, in Asia, and now here in Australia. And I've worked in lots of countries around the world. 
And I must admit, I've had a ton of fun. I think procurement is an easier role than the sales role. And I've always been fascinated by the interface between buyers and sellers. And now that I'm a freelance person, of course, I have to do selling myself. So mm-hmm. part of my interest in your podcast is, is not just because I'm interested as a buyer. I'm interested as a, as a seller to learn some tips and techniques. And I found it very helpful. Oh, good. good. It's fascinating. And yeah. also, I think an interesting thing that you say, the chosen field, because I do agree. And this sort of has, and I'm not sure everyone wakes up, you know, when they're 11 and says, uh, what do you want to be? Well, I want to be a salesperson. Yeah. And they certainly probably don't wake up and say, I want to be a procurement person. So I think the fact that you actually uh, chose that, I think also adds a, a dynamic and interesting energy to your perspective for the for the procurement role. Like you sound prideful to yeah, talk about into it. it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm very passionate about procurement, and many practitioners are. And one of the things, I'm a fellow of a peak body called the Chartered Institute of Purchasing and Supply. And one of my responsibilities there is to evangelize about procurement and set standards and promote better procurement, because there's absolutely no doubt that if you talk to any salesperson, there are some horror stories about how purchasing people behave across the world. So I see part of my role is to raise standards. Well, it's good. It's good. good. Let's get into uh, a couple of questions here I have, and Brian has too. One is, you know, in your years, have you seen any change maybe from the time you began, just kind of track your uh, career, to how salespeople show up, uh, how they show up, what kinds of questions they ask, maybe even the general professionalism of the the profession uh, over the last now, let's just say the last 10, 15 years. Well, is it began to improve? Is it really no change? Is it getting worse? Just give me your trend on that. Well, bear in mind that I work in business-to-business sales. So it, it's in a, a particular um, segment of the sales community. I, I would say in the 80s and early 90s, I would say that the buyer-seller interface was dominant, dominated by the salesperson, certainly in the environments that I worked in. And, Later in life, I learned about spin selling, which is an idea from Rackham, mm-hmm. which, which I suppose is a, is a methodology of, um, <clears throat> of consultative selling, whereby you diagnose the needs of the prospect and then present the features and benefits of your solution to the, to the prospect. And I think that approach of using a questioning funnel to try and understand the uh, situation, uh, problems, implications, and needs of the prospect was very much what I witnessed in the 80s and 90s. And largely unskilled and untrained buyers were quite happy to be led um, by an active, proactive seller selling to the buyer. And I think what's happened later is that that uh, direction of influence in the buyer-seller exchange has begun to toggle in many organizations, whereby the procurement person is now leading the process, whether through RFPs or through uh, simply disempowering the budget holder or other stakeholder in the procurement process, such that I think in business to business areas, many clients are now buying from the salesperson rather than uh, the seller trying to access the budget holder, persuade them their solution is right, and then navigate the budget holder through a labyrinthine series of uh, bureaucratic hurdles to get the purchase order. Very, very interesting. Let me ask you this, Paul. Do you think in the new where we are now? So it sounds I, I kind of I typed down as you were talking about in my iPhone, but I was paying attention. I typed down shift of power. That sounds like there's been a shift of power from the like you said the 80s, 90s into now, where the the power is now kind of moved over to the procurement side. I'll tell you from the salesperson's perspective and from the people that I coach a lot, what we feel and find sometimes 
is that the procurement people are simply motivated by getting the best possible price they can and squeezing all of the value out of the deal to commoditize it so I can make a choice on price. Can you react to that and tell me if you think that's a fair assessment or not? I think it's very common, uh, Brian. Uh, I don't think it's a good procurement practice. Uh, but in defense of, let's say, purchasing people, let's say many purchasing people have savings targets given to them by the business. Yeah. It's not some personal agenda by an individual purchaser to try and maximize price savings. I think they're often given savings targets such as we've got to cut the cost, cost base by 10%. And the purchasing person has this overarching goal, and that can drive behaviors that are counterintuitive. So I would 100% agree it's very difficult to identify value in inverted commas. And many purchasing people wrongly equate value with price, mm -hmm. which drives the behaviors that you've described. Mm. I have to say that I've encountered and coached and worked on many, many procurement teams who go to extraordinary lengths in order to take into account factors other than price. And I'll give you an example. Just last Friday, I was facilitating a workshop for a, a state government here in Australia on what is value, what's value for money. And we spent a whole morning on a range of prep factors other than just price. Mm -hmm. um, whether it was uh, social issues, it was environmental concerns, quality, um, total cost of ownership, lifetime costs, all of these factors. So good procurement practice does take into account factors other than price. Mm -hmm. um, a focus on price is a symptom of a naive and um, relatively inexperienced buyer. But let's bear in mind that many buyers are also driven by an organizational imperative to cut costs to stay competitive. Yeah, yeah. that's very good. So what you're very saying good. is the sophisticated procurement person sees a little bit broader view, whereas the unsophisticated one might default back to price, as Brian says. And so then the question is, okay, if I'm a sales professional calling on an unsophisticated procurement person, is there, do, do I have any role at all in the education of that? I mean, I'm assuming that uh, there's things that sales professionals can do to expand the thinking of a procurement person uh, without patronizing them. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's two, two things that you've raised there that, that are really helpful. One is the diagnosis of what sort of buyer are we dealing with? Are they sophisticated or unsophisticated? Mm -hmm. And what are the symptoms that a salesperson may identify to yeah. diagnose what sort of person we're dealing with, which is and to your sec the, the main point that you raised, I think the answer is yes, there certainly are some things that salespeople can do. And I'll give you a practical one. Let's say we believe that our value proposition stacks up and it's a market leading value proposition as a salesperson. We should have facts, evidence, a business case, a worked example, a reference site, a testimonial, perhaps even a spreadsheet that um, identifies why the sources of value other than the simple initial purchase price contribute to this solution being more effective than your competitors. Now, all buyers want to buy on value, I think, but it's very hard to measure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you as a salesperson can help the buyer understand not only the sources of value other than the, the economic sources, but also the allow them to measure them, then you are not only educating the buyer, but you're aligning the buyer's decision-making criteria around your own value proposition. And I think that could be a key win for many sellers. So in lieu of that, that's what that's the should do. That's good. But instead of the should do, what do what do salespeople typically do in instead of that? Is it verbal claims? Is it uh, unsubstantiated evidence? Mm -hmm. Is it no data? What what's the typical 
thing they do that's a mistake? Well, there's a, a range of things that can go wrong, but I, I have to say I have witnessed some uh, buyers who, who ban salespeople, not only from talking to other stakeholders in the business, but from uh, actually trying to subvert or influence the decision-making criteria. And that closed mentality uh, makes it really, really hard for salespeople. And I think one of the things that sellers do wrong in that situation, that is to say where the, the buyer has established themselves as the only focal point for buyer-seller interface between two organizations, one of the things that some sellers do wrong is go behind the buyer's back and seek to lobby and influence stakeholders in the organization with whom they have a relationship in order to try and create a Trojan horse or somebody in the prospect uh -oh. who will lobby on their behalf. And that's an absolute no-no. Uh, buyers call it selling through the back door mm. uh, and, and that gets uh, buyers offside big time. So I would counsel against doing that. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, most buyers do not like to be told that they're wrong. So let's say the buyer has a, a perspective on how value or what represents value in the category that the salesperson is selling to be challenged directly by a salesperson, no, 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 you've got the criteria all wrong, uh, is, is going to get the buyer offside immediately. Let's think of another one, uh, disrespecting the competition or suggesting, I can't believe you've invited competitor X to bid, uh, is an elementary mistake. And finally, I would suggest any attempt to close using traditional closing techniques on a professional buyer is going to re result in a in a swift smack mm -hmm. in the face. So just don't do it. Beautiful, excellent words, Paul. Very, yeah, very good. It's well spoken. Yeah. Well, um, there's a lot here, and I'm just thinking that maybe we should divide this up and say today that you know we've you've given us a lot to think about here, Paul. And you know some of the things, frankly, that you've said are things that we've coached the opposite of too. So the whole going around the buyer thing, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes we will coach people and say, look, if you're, if that's the only, if that's your only contact point, you have no other, then you can either choose to go around the buyer and go call on someone else, or you can choose to tell the buyer you're going to do that and at least have a discussion about it. But if you're not going to get anywhere that way, you've got to do something else. So I'm interested to know maybe the method of that, maybe how to do that without offending the buyer. Would you be willing to come back if occasionally yeah, to talk about absolutely. those things? Yeah, yeah, but I'm happy just to build on your observation there. My experience is that often buyers are either middle managers or junior middle managers. And if a junior middle manager in a large corporation tries to gain access to a senior vice principal, for example, they, they will sometimes have a lesser chance of doing that than an external salesperson. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone who's worked in a large corporation will know information sourced externally is often viewed as more credible yeah. Yeah. than internal stakeholders. So I, I don't think the two perspectives are irreconcilable. The buyer wants to win the game. I call it winning the, the, the headspace of the stakeholders. And I see it as a contest, really, whereby the external salesperson is seeking to influence and ensure that the decision makers um, are oriented 100% uh, around what are the features and benefits of their solution. And that's a perfectly legitimate role. Meanwhile, the buyer is trying to ensure that yeah. the decision-making vehicle, let's say a, a bid evaluation team or a category evaluation team, that they are the team that makes the decisions rather than senior managers. Mm -hmm. And I think in the white space of the organizational hierarchy, there is in many organizations uh, a, a, an explicit contest as to whose views are going to prevail. So I don't see it as mutually exclusive. I think you're quite right to tell the salesperson they should do that. 
because otherwise the opportunities to advance their sale and advance the chance of them winning is going to be reduced. I've never thought about the buyers, the middleman. Yeah. The purchasing person is as much of a middleman as we are, and yeah. we're two middlemen slash women who sit together and try to figure out what each of our constituents wants. Yeah. And sometimes I think we see the purchasing person as the end, as the end of the line. It really isn't. It's just it's just one more notch toward the end goal, which is getting the customer prospect a solution that works for the constituents. So from their point of view, they would like to be involved at an early stage oh. by the stakeholder. Yeah. And they often feel that by the time the stakeholder presents the, the requirements to them, their opportunities to add value to the process have been reduced. Mm, yeah. And sometimes, guys, the only way the buyer can add value after the specification has been chosen, the duration of agreement has been chosen, and all the parameters of the deal have been resolved by the seller and the budget holder direct. The only way the buyer can in any way change the shape of that deal is to say, hey guys, I want 10% off your mm, price. Yeah. And it's very crude and it's very um, unsophisticated but every other parameter of the deal has already it's been, been set. Yeah, Very good. God, that's very, good. very good. Yeah, Paul, we appreciate you being on today. And number one, uh, thanks for being a listener. Uh, and I know you've told all your friends in Australia to listen up because we've noticed a, a slight uptick in the number of Australian listeners. So it's probably yours, right? I go around with, on the side of my car with um, <laughs> a best-selling podcast written on it. All right. That's that's fantastic. Clue. We thought yeah. so. The problem is he, he's got a blue car and it's written in blue ink, so it's going to blend <laughs> that's in. That's right. That's beautiful, Paul. That's good. Uh, All there, right. There are some, yeah, we'll, we'll have you on again. I think Paul's going to become what I'm guessing, too. We'll talk about this off-air, but a regular contributor because your perspective, I think, is going to be invaluable, and, and you're very brutal. eloquent yeah. in the way you think about things. And so we're very appreciative to uh, have you in our world now and uh, – have been a guest with us on the podcast. It's been great. So we'll have Paul back on sometime in the future. Yeah, definitely. I think he's got a great perspective, the fact that he's been a buyer and a procurement yep. person, as he said, for 32 years. And he's kind of in, I realize he's in this game of selling now for himself and also wanting to share his knowledge yep. with the sales world. And hopefully we can be a channel for that. And he's involved in some higher level per, uh, procurement. I said purchasing by mistake. Procurement yep. groups and associations. And he kind of has a pulse, I think, of what's going on internationally in that world. So I think he's a good resource. It would be wonderful for our podcast listeners to either email us or even better, maybe comment on the on the podcast group on LinkedIn, Advanced Selling Podcast LinkedIn group. And what would you like to know from a person yes. like Paul, someone who's been a procurement person for 32 years, and we were going to interview him again or have him on as a regular segment. What are questions you would have for him that we can facilitate yeah. a podcast around what you guys want to hear? That'd be great, great idea. Great idea. Also, one more thing before we end today. Go ahead. Uh, we're going to be doing some special things in 2013 mm -hmm. for our LinkedIn group. LinkedIn group um, people. And so special. Since our podcast listeners are all over the world, we really don't know who you are because there's no email exchange. Right. We do know who the LinkedIn uh, group members are. So if you are not already an Advanced Selling Podcast LinkedIn group member, please go and join it. We will automatically accept you unless you... Uh, more than likely. Yeah, more than if likely. If you don't self-promote and you wear your clothing and your pictures, <laughs> you'll be fine. That's right. But make sure you do that because uh, some special deals and special promotions are coming your way next year. Probably not till next year, but I want to make sure that we get people in that group. Yeah, quickly. no doubt about it. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been the Advanced Selling Podcast presented by Kasky Achievement Strategies, Indianapolis. Join us each time we record a new podcast by going to iTunes. 